morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, February 17th, we are studying John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. The dispute between Jesus and the Jews reaches its climax as Jesus definitively states, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Doug Gribbenau. Pastor Gribbenau serves as a mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thank you, brother. It is my pleasure to be back with you today and with all our listeners. <laughs> As we get started today, Pastor, let's talk a little context. We're at the end of John 8 today. What should we know about the conversation Jesus has been having and anything in the Gospel of John that'll help us with the text for today? Well, certainly. You know, the, the Gospel of John, in fact, you know, St. John says that his Gospel, the purpose, the point of it is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. Well, especially here in chapters 7, and eight, there's a growing hostility between the Jewish leaders and Christ. And, and not only hostility, but, but confusion, and then just simple opposition to this gospel. And we are now moving into almost sort of the climax of, of this engagement, where we start to see that, that the Jews are really just at the point where they're ready to be done with Jesus get rid of this guy, you know, we're, we're done talking. And, and that's really sort of where we're going to end up with our, with our pericope today, the section of the text that we'll be dealing with. Uh, but uh, as, we, as we will hear, it is not yet his hour. And so the, the story continues beyond seven and eight. But this is really, you know, Jesus has been uh, traveling to uh, Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. Uh, which he's starting to celebrate. There's there's some buzz coming about him, and yet the people are afraid of this Jewish leadership. And then finally Jesus comes and he's teaching openly in, in the temple courts. He does this in the early part of chapter 7, uh, pertaining to you know the source of his teaching, who he is, where he comes from, and many are coming to believe in him. And and yet there is still this, this hesitancy, this, this reticence, um, and, and now our, our text today, we return then to the temple courts in Jerusalem and specifically in the treasury where the offerings are being collected. And that's where we're going to have this sort of showdown uh, between the Jewish leadership and, and Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's been building now for quite some time, this whole conversation that's been happening there in the treasury and the temple, as you said. And and every time it seems like, you know, maybe things are at a calm, Jesus then just throws out more of the truth. And by throws out, he teaches it. He doesn't get rid of it. He throws it out in front of them. He puts we, it there for them to listen to. We might call them truth to. bombs, right? You know, yeah. Drops the truth. That's right. Goes, boom. 
people react. Well, and and they certainly do react. Which I mean, it's 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 quite something. As you you brought out, there are people who are starting to believe in Jesus. Uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Often on account of the signs, they kind of like what they see. But then when they listen to Jesus, they're they're confused at best, and then they become hostile at worst. It, it's striking to see how you know Jesus doesn't build his popularity as you and I might try to do it in a worldly sense. But rather, Jesus, he wants people to believe in him, but he only wants them to believe in him for listening to what he actually says and and all of it. He doesn't hide the hard parts from them. He gives them everything. Yeah, the truth bombs. I like the way that you said that. He gives it all to them. And and if they reject it, so be it. But he's not going to stop teaching the truth because of the opposition that he's facing. Amen. So we are going to hear the climax of this conversation. We saw yesterday, one of the things that is in play is who is your father? Who is Jesus' father? Who is the father of these these Jews, these religious leaders who are listening to Jesus? All of that is going to come to a climax in our text today. So we're picking up now in John 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's our text for today. That is John 8, verses 48 to 59. Pastor Gribbon, we're picking up this text in the midst of a larger conversation. Remind us of what was being said in the previous text and how the Jews' answer in verse 48 fits into that, where they say, are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Well, you know, we've we've had some, uh, some clarifications. I think that's the best way to say it, especially in the last you know, the preceding paragraphs where it really comes to a point that Jesus is, is, is accusing uh, the, these, these Jewish leaders who, who have demonstrated an absolute lack of faith in God's word and the promises that are being realized in Christ Jesus. And he effectively says, um, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I am from God. And then later he says, you are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. So the, the battle lines have, have been drawn. And, and really, the, the Jews are at this point, all they can sort of see in their unbelief and, and in this worldly structure that they're a part of is almost rage. This guy is a blasphemer. He is the worst. And you know what? We're just going to try to think of the very most terrible thing in all creation that we can accuse him of being. And that is a Samaritan, right? The, 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 the people of the, of the Jews who were left there in Samaria, who had been inter, intermarrying. And, and so they're considered to be sort of you know, religious half-breeds, ethnic half-breeds. They are polluted. They are unclean. These are folks that you know, pious, orthodox, uh, believing Jews never associate with. And, and they're, because they're unbelievers, because they're false. Uh, they do not believe in, in the God of Abraham. And so they're saying, you know what? You are outside the covenant. You are outside the people of God, Jesus. You are a Samaritan. And you say that we are of our father, the devil, right? You, oh, no, no, no. You have a demon. Only a demon would accuse God's people of, of such a thing. And so they've, they've really established themselves to say now, no, there's, there's no reconciliation. There's no peace. There's no more discussion. This is our, our declaration about you. And, mm. and it's, it's sort of a judgment, uh, a, a, a judicial phrase. You know, you are, you're outside. You are, you are wicked. You are evil. And, and really, implicitly, you just, you just need to die. You need to be gone. Punishment mm. for your false teaching is, is death. Uh, Pastor Gribbon, I think you, you said earlier the word rage. And I, I do think that you, you see that in this text, particularly when we get toward the very end of it, that last verse where they're ready to throw stones at Jesus. With this first comeback that they've got, do you think that this is mostly just a an ad hominem? They're just speaking against Jesus without any real, you know, there's no real connection logically to what Jesus has said other than sort of like, no, it's like, I mean, it's almost like kids arguing on the playground. Am not, are so, am not, are so. I mean, is that kind of what you think their their mindset is here? Well, you know, the way the, the way that I'm reading this is is that this is really just the, the worst thing they can think to call this guy. Hmm. Um, and and because he is teaching contrary to what their sort of worldly focused belief system is. And so the, the Samaritans, you know, the Jews would accuse them of perverting God's word. And the, the Jewish leaders had this expectation of, of the Messiah, of the Christ. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't match that at all. Yeah. And, and so I think it, there's also a certain twisted logic to them accusing him of being a perverter of God's word. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's not just pure rage, but there is some, some thought behind it, although it, it is developing toward rage. One, one thing is you were talking about, you know, the Samaritans and the way that the, the Jews of Jesus day would have viewed them. What's striking about John's gospel particularly is that the last time we met an actual Samaritan, she believed in Jesus and and her whole town later because of her testimony and then hearing Jesus. The I guess the ironic twist of this is that this is one of the worst things they can think to call Jesus is a Samaritan. 
And yet, as we've met real life Samaritans in John's gospel, they received Jesus and believed in him, whereas these people in John 8 aren't. And, you know, the it's really, it's a, it's a testimony to, to the word and, and work yeah. Jesus is doing, that it creates belief wherever it is, in whomever receives the word. And of course, you know, the word made flesh. And the irony is that, that perhaps, you know, the, the Gentiles have eyes that are not as closed per se to this sort of, of concrete expectation that the Jewish leaders have in, in a worldly Messiah. And in a sense, are maybe a little more receptive to the truth of who Jesus is because, because they don't have these false expectations that need to be broken down. Um, and that's perhaps me re- reading a bit much into it, but we see time and time again uh, that it is the people outside of, of the, the, the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles here in John's gospel that are, that are so often um, almost surprising Jesus with their faith. Mm. Mm. Right, and, and to, to kind of build on that, that those who think they're in, which is the conversation that Jesus has been having, these, these Jews who, to whom he's speaking are saying, hey, look, Abraham's our father. God's our father. What are you talking about, Jesus? How is it that you know, we need to repent? How do we need to listen to you if all these things are true about us? They think they're in, and yet they're out. Those who you know, kind of know they're on the outside looking in, when they hear Jesus come and proclaim the gospel, that he brings the kingdom of God, that he is here for sinners, they rejoice to hear that good news. You see that, that great reversal. You know, Jesus says it in the Synoptic Gospels, something like, the last will be first, the first will be last, or those who are exalted will be brought low, those who are low will be exalted. I think you're seeing that play out in John's Gospel, again, thinking back to what happened in chapter 4, to what we're seeing, especially now in chapter 8, that, that those who think they're in and think they're children of Abraham because of their bloodline, Jesus has, has showed them, no, you're actually not, and now they've mostly resorted to name-calling. It's not all gone yet. I mean, the, the conversation hasn't completely devolved yet, but that's where it's headed. It's a striking irony, and, and hopefully for us serves as, as one, a warning that you know, we would not become proud or conceited, um, but rather encouragement to remain in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the only way we truly are sons of Abraham, sons of God. That's right, Abraham, you know, the father of faith. And it's interesting, it's actually telling the way that Jesus responds to this accusation, right? Is it, is it not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus responds by saying, I do not have a demon. He doesn't even address this this accusation that he's a Samaritan, and I think it's a, it's a really beautiful reminder that Jesus loves loves all people. He loves the the people of Israel that would you know be gathered under his wings. He loves the Gentiles. He loves the Samaritans. His gospel is for all humanity uh, to bring us into into this family of faith. And so he, he doesn't even skip a beat. The, the Samaritan thing is, is totally unimportant to Jesus because he's here to save the Samaritans too and the Jews and the Gentiles and all peoples. So he just ignores that entirely and, and zeroes in on this idea of, 
you say I have a demon. I do not have a demon. Mm. Well, and, and even, you know, what he says after that, I honor my father, I think that plays into why he wouldn't address the Samaritan matter either, because all along they've been misunderstanding the origin of Jesus, even going back into John 7, you know, they think they know who Jesus' mother and father are. We heard in the last text where they said, hey, we weren't born of sexual immorality, Jesus, thinking maybe they kind of have an idea of maybe something was wrong with the way he was conceived with Mary and Joseph. I mean, they... Jesus' human ancestry, in in John's gospel particularly, that's not where Jesus keeps talking about. He he keeps talking about his connection to his father. And so whether or not he's Samaritan or from Nazareth or wherever he's from or born, which are questions that have been swirling about Jesus, that's ultimately not the point. The thing you need to know about Jesus that he really wants these people to know is that he is the son of God and God is his father. And that's what he's going to emphasize, I think, as well, as he moves on, you know, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father. That's really what you need to know when it comes to the origin of Jesus is God is his father. And and he follows up with, and you dishonor me, which is by implication saying, we have different fathers, which right. he has said before. That's right. You yeah. Know, so okay, um, keep, it's, keep it's going also going interesting that this particular text uh, is is used on Trinity Sunday. Uh, in in the three year lectionary in year C, and because the the emphasis here really is is on this doctrine of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and this is you know the, the, I am I am honored I honor my Father and it is my Father who honors me the Father and the Son, the first two people of this Holy Trinity. And so it, it, yeah, it's fitting that this is uh, selected for Trinity Sunday in year C of the three year lectionary. And we, we've seen many texts within John's gospel that, in which Jesus, you know, teaches the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And certainly this is one when we hear him talk about his father and the honor and the glory that are involved with the, the son and the father. And, and especially later, and I don't want to, to spoil that yet, but when we get to verse 58, the climactic statement of Jesus to, to recognize who he actually is, all of these things are, are wrapped up into the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So it is good that we would hear this text on Holy Trinity Sunday, one of the years in the three-year lectionary. Now, let's talk more about those words that he says in verses 50 and 51. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. But just take us into that before we get to verse 51. Well, certainly with the honor and, and the dishonor. And the thing about honor is that it's... If it's generated by yourself, if you're if you're puffing it up and trying to create your own sense of honor, it's it's a hollow, it's a false honor. Honor, especially in uh, in this world here, in in the in the ancient Near East, it was it was a social uh, capital per se, right? It, honor is bestowed by the outside on the end, and so Jesus is saying, I I you know I honor my father. And you dishonor me. So he's, he's identifying that that rift that that exists within within their culture. Uh, and so, you know, honor and dishonor are these uh, these sort of great capitals of the reputation. And so he honors his father. They dishonor him, and he says, "I do not seek my own glory," which is really you know, one of those truth bombs. Anyone who seeks their own glory, it's it is it is vain glory. It is empty. It is hollow. But there is one, and if you notice in the ESV, it, it is capitalized, right? There is one, 
speaking of the Father, right, who seeks it, and he is the judge, and that is, mm. you know, his Father in heaven, the one who is his Father, by implication, not their Father. The ones who dishonor Jesus have a different Father. Jesus is honoring the Father, and the one who seeks to honor Jesus is, is the Father who is the judge. Mm. Well, and identifying the father then as the judge, I think, is is meant again as a warning to them. Think about you're dishonoring me, Jesus says, and so by by way of connection, you're also dishonoring the father, and he's the judge. So take care. Look at this path you are following. This is not good. You're continuing to walk after your father, the devil, as he said in the previous text. So watch out because you are you are going against the judge, the father. But I think in that context, then there's there's some hope in verse 51. And, and you talk about truth bombs. Jesus identifies this, I think, as a truth bomb by the way he introduces it. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Talk about those words from Jesus. And there's a little implication as to what this judge will do. He's the judge of, of the living and the dead, right? He's, he is the one who makes alive and he is the one who kills. That is the judge to whom Jesus refers. And so he's connecting this, this judgment, right, with this, this death. And so he says, you know, and going back into the Greek, because this is one of those words that we actually do hear and recognize very often. You know, he says, truly, truly, but in the Greek it is, amen, amen, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And of course, Jesus here is speaking of, of really the ultimate kind of death, the, the, the most important one. And this is the spiritual death, that, that, that permanent sort of judgment that's going to come on the last day. And, and by his phrasing, he has now connected himself with this judge, the one who is seeking Jesus' honor by saying, if anyone keeps my word, he said, I honor my father if anyone keeps my word. So he's drawing even closer this connection between who he is, one who sent him, uh, and, and his own divinity. Sort of really starting, starting to peel back uh, as much as, as, he, as he can for them in their, in their sort of sinful blindness that if anyone keeps my word, they will not taste death. And of course, we, we do hear in the epistles a little later that, you know, St. Paul makes it clear that it was, you know, it was, you know, sin came into the world and so death came with it. But this is, would not be a foreign understanding to the Jewish leaders that, that, you know, sin and death are connected. And so if you keep those words, you will not taste death it is to elevate what these words are. And these are the words of, of the Lord God Almighty. This is... The, of Yahweh, of the father of Abraham, right? <laughs> the, the one, yeah. the father by faith. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the the Greek there, the truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, which we, we've talked about before. This is a common way that Jesus speaks. And in this context, particularly, you know, where Jesus emphasizes the truth of his words, stands in stark contrast to what he said about their father being the devil and the father of lies. So not only, again, does he connect himself very closely with his father, but he also completely distances, distances himself from the father of lies, and yet at the same time calls those listening, 
again into this truth that he has, and it is his own words that save people from death. Talk talk more about what it means for someone to keep Jesus' word here. What does that look like? And that's a good one to to point to because often we hear this idea of of keep and in our sort of um, American ideal of you must do something, you know, we have that that sort of natural inclination uh, to to be synergists. You know, well, God did His part; I have to do my part. And keeping is not necessarily to obey. Uh, this word "tereo" in the Greek is we translate it as to keep, as in to to guard, to pay attention to, to observe. Uh, you know, perhaps to, to treasure, but this idea of of a sort of active thing of like to obey uh, is is really sort of foreign to that actual Greek construction. The, the word itself is really of to be mindful of, to treasure, to value, uh, to to heed, as in to pay attention and to observe. But it's not really an active thing, and and this is a good reminder for us that our salvation is not by any work that we have done. For all the works that we do would merit nothing but you know sin, death, and damnation. But it is entirely and fully the work of God, our salvation, entirely the work of Christ that he gives to us freely. And that's why it is a gift, because it's, it's not our work. It's not our to-do. It's not our to-obey. But it is ours to receive, to pay attention to, to treasure, to observe. Hmm. Yeah, and I, that connects very well within this context. We talked about it yesterday with the works of Abraham, that the the works that Abraham was doing, that was his faith, that he trusted in the word of the Lord. Not, I mean, we know, we know Abraham sins, no doubt, but he trusted in the word of the Lord, and God counted that faith as righteousness. That's the, the same thing that's going on with keeping the word of Jesus, holding on to what he says, trusting in him, that God-given faith, that saves us from death because it clings to the one who has conquered death, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get an opportunity, I think, to talk about this again later when we talk more about Abraham because he comes up again in this text. But that's what's going on here again, to, to keep the word of Christ, to hold on to it, to treasure it, and then be kept by him that saves us from death now and forever. We're going to keep looking at these words of Jesus on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Doug Gribbenau about John chapter 8. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe. Become a patron. 
and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 17th. We're studying John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau. He serves as a mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. And you also host the afternoon music block Monday through Friday. Is that right, Pastor Gribbenau? I do. I get to host God's Word Set to Song. I, I probably never coined the phrase, but that's sort of what I often say. Uh, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Central Time, and we wander through some of the great hymns of the church. A lot of them are going to be found in the Lutheran service book. Uh, some of them are in the old TLH, you know, the Lutheran hymnal. Some are even from Lutheran worship that I remember when I was a little boy, blue book in the pews. And, and some are, are choral works um, and, and other hymns that haven't found their way into our hymnals uh, or are really just sort of, you know, uh, sort of been, been uh, brought forth or, or commissioned for certain activities in the church. But it's a wonderful exploration of, of the way God's word has been meted to, uh, to song and to music in a way that we can remember. And I've, I haven't hosted this for maybe 10 months now, getting a little close to a year. Uh, I've really grown to even treasure our hymnody even more because the best way for us, really, the way we're wired to remember God's word is, well, is to put it with song. I, mean, I, I can remember lyrics to songs that I heard maybe 20 years ago. Uh, and sometimes if I'm brute force trying to memorize scripture, I, I stumble around a little bit. But if you bring those two together, Wow, you just you have God's word in your pocket, in your ear, in your heart, in your mind, and uh, and the hymns are a real treasure. So, I, I hope uh, some of the listeners will, will tune in one p.m. to three p.m. for the afternoon music block, right? <laughs> and because of copyright uh, laws and the way broadcasting is, I, I'm a live only program, so you can't get me on the podcast, right? <laughs> you have to <laughs> tune right. in live. <laughs> That's right. So tune in to KFUO, and you can do that AM 850 in the St. Louis area or KFUO.org worldwide. You can listen to Pastor Doug Gribben on one to three weekday afternoons, the music block. What a, what a wonderful opportunity for KFUO, both to hear God's word and to sing God's word, but also to study God's word in depth. Just thinking about this text, I, I don't know if, if it shows up particularly in any hymns, but perhaps a connection to the God of Abraham praise at 798 in our Lutheran service book. We're going to get to talk about the God of Abraham in this text and how Jesus is, in fact, the God of Abraham. So where we are in the text, Pastor Gribbenau, we, we left off with Jesus' words in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, an absolute certain promise from Jesus, that those who keep his word, that they are kept by him and they never see death. The Jews, though, they come back with more objections. And in verse 52, they say, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the question eventually gets to, who do you make yourself out to be? What, what is their objection here? We, we as Christians, we hear those promise of Jesus as a wonderful thing, and they say, Jesus, you're, you're crazy. You really have a demon. What, what's their problem? Well, Abraham obviously died, right? Remember, his bones were, <laughs> were carried forth, and the prophets all died. You know, it's, it's as if you hear people, you know, today we say we celebrate Easter 
And, you know, folks say, no, I mean, people don't rise from the dead. Nobody comes back from the dead, right? That's, that's sort of that unbelief of the day. And that's really what, what the, uh, the Jews here are saying, that we know for a fact that Abraham died, that the prophets died, and yet you're, you're saying, really, they're saying it's a false promise. You know, keep my word and you'll never taste death. And yet these people who you have said, you know, you honor, you're connected to, that uh, we know they died. And so you're obviously just a liar. You're obviously just full of it. And, uh, and, and we can't possibly believe it. the thing is that they've missed the reality of what Jesus is saying, you know, because we know that there is, and, and, you know, the resurrection of, of the dead, the resurrection of all flesh on the last day that, you know, the reason we take care of and we, and we treat with, with great dignity, the remains, the bodies of our loved ones is because we know that body will come back to life. And we know that their soul is now resting in heaven. And on the last day, these two will be joined again. You know, a perfect, you know, sinless soul, sinless body made glorious like Jesus. And we know it's going to come. So we treat it with honor because this body is who we are. Human beings are the, a unique creation of all that God has made. The, the angels are, are entirely spirit. Animals are entirely flesh, all entirely body. And yet man stands unique in, in the apex of creation as the only thing that God has made that is both spirit and body, right? And these two will be joined again on the last day. So we treat the body with dignity. It dies, and yet we know that there is life to be had. And that's what Jesus is saying is there is the, the life everlasting. It's coming. It will be. We know of it. I've prophesied about it because I am the word made flesh. <laughs> and, and so... They, they completely misunderstand this. And so Jesus is going to have to clarify for them, you know, that yes, they died, but they are not dead, right? Because that's, that's the, the whole story is yet to be told, if you will, right? Paul Harvey, right? He always says the rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story is coming on that last day. And so they say, you know, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself? out to be and that's really that's a that's a great question yeah and in fact yeah, well, that, if you really paid attention to themselves they would have answered it themselves it's really almost a rhetorical question right and and that ultimately is the question that that is needed to be answered here is is who is jesus who does he make himself out to be is he telling the truth if he is then trust in him this is really the question that is is at hand in John's gospel their their misunderstanding is is striking again and, and not necessarily surprising but I, I'm thinking back especially to John chapter 5 where Jesus talks about both types of of death both the spiritual death from which he frees and gives spiritual life and also then the the physical death which he gives life in the resurrection and it seems that they've they've missed at least what he said back in chapter 5 verse 24 where he he says truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life those has eternal life and then later jesus says that hour is coming and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It, it seems they, they've missed this when it comes to Abraham and the prophets, the eternal life that is theirs, because they believed the word of God. And, and though they have died, yet they live, as Jesus will say later to Martha in, in John chapter 11. It also 
also reminded me of the conversation that Jesus has with the Sadducees during Holy Week that's recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, where they come to Jesus trying to disprove the resurrection. And, and Jesus says, well, well, let me tell you about the resurrection. And he, he quotes from the Lord speaking at the burning bush, where the Lord says, I am the God of Abraham. Just to, And I'll stop there since we're talking about Abraham here. And Jesus says, hey, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so, again, it, it's striking how even here it seems that these you know, readers of the Old Testament have, have missed those things that the Old Testament was teaching them about Jesus. And Jesus, again, he wants them to believe what the Old Testament says about him. Yeah. And, and, you know, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) Greater than the prophets? Yes. These point to to Christ, point to the Messiah. Who do you make yourself out to be? And, you know, I wish they would have said, oh, but I think there is another aspect that's sort of at at play here. And and I think it's really what is underlying and undergirding this this anger, this rage, this opposition to Jesus is they've almost sort of dug themselves in a hole. And if they finally were to admit that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, exactly who he's made himself out to be, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, then they would be guilty of something terrible. And that would be mm-hmm. blaspheming the Lord. And so there is almost this sort of, I think, a, a sort of pridefulness and the, this terror at admitting they're wrong, even as glorious and wonderful as, as it would be that you know, the Messiah is here and here he stands. That, that shame of being a blasphemer, I think, is almost inhibiting them from being able to, to just repent. And in truth, we know how hard it is when you do something terrible in your life. It is so hard to say, to to confess, to admit, to say, yeah, I did that. I never thought I could do it. I did it. And I am so sorry. And it's so hard to do. And even though we go through this in our lives, what do we find? That once we confess, once we say, I did it, I am a, you know, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Have mercy on me. Well, God does have mercy on us. And it's wonderful. But that, that, the flesh within us stays so terrified of admitting our sinfulness that even though we go through it throughout our lives over and over again, we still have that hesitancy, that tremendous hesitancy to ever confess and say the truth. Yeah, it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word that such humility comes from, you know, I mean, comes out of us such that we would confess in that way. And truly, that is a gift by the grace of God to to confess where we are wrong, to to admit, as as the people here refuse to do, that, oh, I didn't understand the Old Testament. I had it all wrong. It was pointing to Jesus, but he is now revealing the truth. And, and God be praised, I trust in him. That's what, what they refuse. Only by the grace of God do any of us make that confession. So God be praised, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord for bringing us to faith in the one who is greater than Abraham, the one greater than the prophets, the one whose words give us eternal life, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus wants those listening to him to trust in him. So he continues to answer their objections. He continues to reveal who he is to them, though they are not listening. How does he how does he do that starting in verse 54? He doesn't go straight to this matter of Abraham. He, he gets there eventually. What does Jesus have to say in, in verses 54 and 55? 
yeah, we, we've had this honor and dishonor discussion before, and and now they said, you know, are you greater? Are you are you of, of a greater honor and a dignity and a stature? And so he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So he's making this direct connection now. You claim that the God of Abraham is the God who you worship. I tell you that he is my Father. He is the one that glorifies me. And yet you dishonor me, and therefore dishonor him. So is the truth that your father is the God of Abraham, or, as they had discussed in chapter 7, is your father the other fellow? And so he continues, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and then he brings it back around, and I keep his work. And so he's put this wonderful bookend on these two things. Amen, amen, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, right? And then he says here, I do know him. And if I were to say I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. His word, my word, it's the same word. And really, how more clear could Jesus make the answer to their question, who do you make yourself out to be? Yeah, yeah. He, he continues to make himself clear. They do not have ears to hear, though, and so they will continue to reject him. After he, he has that bookend about the Father's word being his word, and that is the word that saves from death, Jesus says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad. What is Jesus saying there? Ah, uh, the promise of the Messiah. And the realization that what God had promised to us, really, that all the way back to our first parents, you know, Genesis 3, 15, that, that first gospel of the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent, right? And Abraham believed God and it was credited to as righteousness. Abraham saw God's promise coming into reality. He saw it when his son Isaac was born and the fulfillment of the promise that he would make his descendants a great nation, that they would be a blessing to all people for through them, all nations would be blessed, right? The Messiah coming from Abraham's lineage to deliver and redeem all of creation, right? And it's being fulfilled and Abraham sees it coming true. Even though Abraham had died and did not see or witness, you know, the, the incarnation, the the birth of Christ, his ministry, his signs, his teachings. Uh, even though Abraham is dead, he's not going to see our Lord lifted on the tree, pierced and dying for us, shedding his blood and giving his body. When you see God fulfilling his promise, even if it's just the beginning, you know it is absolutely true. And you know that everything else that God has promised is going to happen. And that is why we can say that Abraham saw Jesus' day because he saw the beginning, and he knows that absolute certainty. When God says he's going to do something, it shall be done. He sees it beginning, and so it's as good as if he had seen the end, uh, that he rejoices to see it. And he is glad because the Messiah is coming. And for the Jews here now, the Messiah is present and standing in front of them to declare to them his word. One of the things that I think we should not fail 
to see in verse 56 is what this teaches us about the faith of the saints of the Old Testament. Abraham believed in Jesus. Abraham was a Christian. He trusted in the Christ who was to come, even as we trust in the Christ who has come and will come again. But he had the same faith. You know, as, as you said, he didn't he didn't see the incarnation in the same way that Peter, James, and John saw it, or that Mary and Joseph saw it. But but he saw it coming, and so he believed in it, and and he was saved in that faith. I, we this is really important for the way we read the Old Testament. The faith that is proclaimed and believed in the Old Testament is the Christian faith that trusts in the Savior who came. The one that's speaking to these Jews right here in John chapter eight. A- Amen. Yeah, the people of the Old Testament are as much Christians as we are today because we all believe in the the Christ, and that's just the it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, and so we we believe in Jesus. Abraham believed in Jesus, and and so it is it is the same faith, you know, believing in God, and and credited to us as righteousness, credited to us by our belief in Jesus. The righteous one, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah. there is, well, and, and it's not we'll keep going. Yeah, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's an artificial construct, really, because it is, it it is all about Jesus. I mean, to sort of use the the LCMS, the you know, language for for the hundred seventy fifth anniversary. It's you know, it's all about Jesus. Yeah. The whole Old Testament, the whole old new, the whole New Testament, it's all about the Messiah, the Christ. Yeah. Christ who was to come, the Christ who has come, the Christ who will come again. Hmm. Yeah. And as you were pointing out, some of the events within Abraham's life where he actually did see Jesus' day and was glad. You, know, you, you mentioned at the birth of his son Isaac, which I think is a, a fantastic connection to make because of the joy that was present at the birth of Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. And so certainly Isaac uh, brought joy to Abraham. And in seeing Abraham being born, he recalled the promise and there was joy to see Jesus' day. I've, I've also always connected this verse to what Abraham sees with his son Isaac about a chapter later, I think in Genesis, in Genesis 22, where Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. And and yet there God sees, or there, excuse me, Abraham sees that God provides the sacrifice. He provides the ram. And in that, Abraham saw the day of Jesus, not only that the promised child would come, but in fact, the promised child would come and give his life in place of sinners, including Abraham and Isaac. So I think, again, with this verse, it also helps us to to understand the Old Testament like Christocentrically with Christ at the center. It's it's not just a bunch of stories about things that happened long ago, but these are accounts of history in which God revealed who he was to his people. And now he's done that fully in his son, Jesus Christ. But it was always pointing forward to the events of, of Christ's own life, death, resurrection. Well, amen. And and, and that's a wonderful connection to remember that and and I I love in the story of of the binding of Isaac, you know, that that uh, never does it say that Isaac, you know, fought against his father. You know, Isaac and Abraham both of faith that the Lord would do what what is right and just and true, and this Lord is merciful. So I love how Isaac doesn't fight. He he, you know, I can almost imagine him hopping on the wood and saying, "Okay, you know, the Lord's will," uh, and. And so, you know, tremendous faith that the Lord will provide, and he will provide from himself uh, to redeem you and I. It's nothing that we need do, right? It's not our work, entirely the work of God. 
Mm, that's right. And so those events were opportunities for Abraham, Isaac, and all the events of the Old Testament were opportunities for them to see Jesus' day and rejoice in the coming Savior in that Christian faith that they share with us. The Jews listening react again in opposition. You aren't yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Seems to be another objection, understanding things according to the flesh. We've we've seen this all along, where people have rejected Jesus. You know, how are you going to rebuild this temple in three days, Jesus? How can I be born again, go into my mother's womb all along? It seems a similar reaction. And Jesus' words then in verse 58, if, if there is a truth bomb in this text, <laughs> this is it. So take us into Jesus' words in fifty in verse fifty eight. What's he saying? Well, yeah, fifty seven. The Jews are, are they they are so stuck in this worldly perspective, um, fully convinced of what they believe to be true. They cannot see this, and they say, "You, you are not yet fifty years old, and and have you seen Abraham?" It's it's a really it's a mocking thing. As much as the whole, "Can I crawl into my mother's womb and be born again?" How does that possibly work? Right, and so Jesus says. Amen, amen. You know, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right, and so he uses he uses that that explosive word. You know, the pious uh, pious Jews would not say the divine name. You know, the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, right? Which is which is what I am. You know, who who shall I tell the people you are? Right, and God says, "Tell them I am." And so Jesus is saying, "Abraham was past tense. I am, in in a in an eternal sense, and, and and that word really carries with it the eternal reality of who Jesus is, that He is before time. He is the one through whom all things were made. He precedes everything, and He stands at the end of time. You know the." The eschatological judge, I am. I exist through all things. I am eternal, just as my Father. You know, and so he uses that word. the The pious Jews would never say it; they would just use a, a pseudonym like Hashem. You know, the name, the one that we don't say. And Jesus uses his name and his own name, and he speaks it to them. Abraham was, I am, Yahweh, and. That would to to claim that that if you were not truly Christ is the height of blasphemy. It is the single worst thing that you could ever do to claim the divinity that is not yours. And yet here in this one person, Christ Jesus, it is absolutely true. I am standing before you is Yahweh, you know, the Lord. And it and it, it's it is it is the biggest truth bomb yet. You know, that he is God in the flesh, the incarnate deity. And, and, and at this point, all bets are off. Not only can they not stand to hear what Jesus has said, he has used the divine name in speaking to himself, you know, speaking of himself. And so, you know, what is the call, what is the, the, uh, the punishment for such radical blasphemy? It is to be put to death. And that's immediately what they moved to do. But Jesus, it says, hides himself and goes out of the temple because it's it's not yet his time. He he will die, but now's not quite the right time for that. And so he avoids death at this moment. 
and and goes and leaves and and of course the narrative continues but it's not his hour we've heard jesus talk about that previously it's striking what jesus says here before abraham was i am and as you said all the connections that that brings up particularly jesus claiming to be and rightly so we believe and we know that he is in fact the god of the old testament they don't believe it all those connections it's it strikes me just having you know gone through john's gospel so far up to this point, if they'd listened to John the Baptist, they should have believed this. John the Baptist preached earlier in chapter one that that he testifies, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So if they'd been listening to John, they would have, and of course, if they'd been listening to Jesus, they would have known this. They don't believe this. They're ready to kill him. Here is very clear evidence in verse 59 that Jesus, in fact, did claim to be God and he was understood to be claiming to be God because of their reaction in stoning him. That's where our text ends. We know how the story will continue as we go forward into chapter nine. Pastor Grimmel, we got about two minutes here on the morning. Help us to wrap things up on this text. There's plenty of warning here. Help us also to see the good news that is ours from this end of John chapter eight. Well, certainly. Uh, you know, the one thing that that we have to remember the setting for this, you know, they're picking up stones. Stones that are laying about because they're in the temple. The temple is undergoing renovation, right? They're, they're, they're trying to beautify and restore the earthly temple. And yet here is the temple, right? <laughs> the temple of God, the one that will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. And they're, bringing, they're picking up stones from this, this worldly temple to hurl at the, uh, at the cornerstone, one the builders rejected. And I, I just sort of love the beautiful symmetry there uh, that they're trying to cast stones at, at the temple of God, using the stones that they were building for, for the temple of God. It's a wonderful irony uh, that's taking place there. And the fact is that Jesus goes as he is appointed, right? And he is going to go to the cross at the right time, in the fullness of time, right? The perfect moment. And to be lifted up to draw all people to himself, right? And to draw all peoples, right? Uh, the, the Jews, the Gentiles, the whole of creation. And he will do it willingly because why? Because of the joy that was set before him, right? So Abraham saw the day of Jesus and was glad. And Jesus sees the redemption of the world. He sees each and every one of us who believe in his name, and it makes him glad. And he goes to the cross with, with joy because because of you, because he loves you so much. Even if you were the only human person on, on planet Earth, aside from Jesus, because he is true, truly God and truly man, right? he would rejoice to suffer and die, even just for you. But he does so for everyone. And what a wonderful thing to see that day, right? And to be glad. Pastor Doug Gribbenaut is Mission Advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today to study John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. Pastor Gribbenaut, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me on. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.